0: Good morning, everyone. You can open your Bibles to Philippians 4. Brother Jonathan listens to messages from various churches in our group, Um, I guess when he's on the road and whatnot, and um, I'm always a little bit, I'm of two minds about our easy access to hearing the sermons in our other churches. Um, I preached from this passage last week back home. The title of the sermon is The Battle Between Our Ears. And the text we're going to be focusing on is here in Philippians 4, um, from verses 4 through 8. Let's go ahead and read that now. Philippians 4, starting at verse 4 Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. We have this call, this command to rejoice always in anything, in everything. Rejoice, Paul says. Rejoice always. He reiterates it again. I say, rejoice. Paul's writing this in prison. In anything, in everything, rejoice. He's not saying be flip. He's not saying you need to be happy-go-lucky. He's not saying you'll never experience sadness. You'll never experience hardship. He's not saying you'll never experience suffering or pain. He's talking about having the kind of life that experiences joy even in the middle of suffering or pain. In verse 5, he talks about letting your gentleness. Um, uh, in the King James, you're used to seeing that as moderation. And there is a sense of the word, the Greek word that's used there, that, that can have the idea of reasonableness. But it it's, there's a, there's a, an even keeledness or a, a not lashing out, a responding in gentleness um, tone to the word that was used there. So he says, let your gentleness be known to everyone. So even when you are tossed about, even when life is slamming you from all sides, that your response, your reaching back out from the middle of that storm is with a gentle response, a gentle touch. That doesn't sound like life to me, but there is a way to be steady and gentle, even in the middle of trauma, in the middle of distress, even in the middle of the injustice Paul was experiencing, being imprisoned for doing the right thing. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, give thanks He talks about the peace of God that surpasses anything we can understand. So we have a steadiness and a gentleness. We have joy. We have peace. A lack of anxiety. Well, who doesn't want that? That sounds like uh, exactly what I'm looking for. It sounds exactly like what most people you're going to run into are looking for. They're trying to replace The anxiety that creeps into their lives or maybe even dominates their lives with peace. They're trying to to find steadiness. They're trying to be able to be gentle in the middle of stress. We live in a world that is ravaged by sin and the consequences of sin. And in that world, everyone is seeking peace. And then we get down into verse 8. <clears throat> and that idea of finally, and he, he's pulling all this together. These verses are a unit that all work together for transformation in our lives. So let's connect all this. Let's look at the transformation in these verses. And the place to start is to know, to acknowledge that the battle for joy, gentleness, and peace. In your life begins in your mind. The battle for joy, gentleness, and peace in your life begins in your mind. Joy, gentleness, and peace don't come naturally. What comes naturally, what comes easily, <clears throat> is despair or discouragement, distress, not joy. When the diagnosis is not good, when the projection is worse, not better, you don't drift toward joy. When you're going through something hard, gentleness is not natural. When things are going wrong, when you are facing stressful circumstances, situations, your, your natural response is not to be gentle. Gentle. Your natural response is to snap. Your natural response is to get short-tempered, to be insensitive, to speak without weighing the words that you're saying. You're inclined when, when stresses pile in around you, you're inclined to be harsh or unkind. You're not inclined toward gentleness. When you're walking through the middle of all sorts of unknowns, peace isn't natural anxiety and worry, those are, what, those are what come to you when you're facing something unknown or maybe it's known and it's big and, and you know that it's a problem. Peace isn't what, what comes to you naturally. In Matthew 6, which we will look at a little bit later, three times Jesus calls us to not worry, to not be anxious. We have different things we worry about, All of us are walking a different path. All of us are facing different things in the day-to-day. We do have some common worries, some worries that no matter who you talk to, um, you're going to find a a number of these worries that we share along the path of life. There's a lot of worries around family, whether it be um, for your siblings, for your parents, especially if health situations crop up. Um, That's a common area of worry for, for many of us. A lot of people worry about, well, are they going to get married? And then if they get married, they worry, well, am I going to have a good marriage? And then am I going to have children? And if they have children, well, are these children going to turn out? Um, how are these children going to go through life? These are, these are maybe some common things that we, we can all drift toward worry or anxiety with. Our finances, our future There's a battle in our lives to live in joy, to live in gentleness, to live in peace, because our inclinations in our circumstances, our inclinations are toward anxiety. But where does that battle begin? That battle begins in your mind. The fight for joy, gentleness, and peace takes place between your ears. We're told here in scripture, and in some other scriptures we'll look at, to stop and think about certain things. We don't often slow down and consider what we're thinking about. There's a word, metacognition. It's thinking about thinking. We don't do that very much. We don't think about thinking very much, but we're as Christians, we're called to do that. We're called to think about what we're thinking about. The result of not slowing down and considering what we're thinking about is that our thought life becomes filled with unhelpful things, unhelpful habits. You will dig little holes that you're going to keep stepping in, um, in your thought life. If we are not conscious of what we're thinking about, if we don't consider our thought lives and, and we allow those unhelpful thoughts and unhelpful thought patterns to grow, you logically will simply sink. You will get dragged down and down. The battle begins in your mind. Uh, we're going to read later. We're going we're gonna to dig into verse 8 there where we're told to think on certain things. But I want to first just consider the importance of thought. What you think determines how you live. That's as simple as I can state it. What you think determines how you live. What you think about God, what you think about approach to life, what you think about determines how you actually go through life, how you actually live. We're going. I'm going to uh, read through a number of scriptures that that speak to the mind and, and our thoughts. For the sake of time, I won't ask you to turn to them in Proverbs 23 verse 7 we read as a man thinks in his heart so is he and in Proverbs 4 23 we're told to keep our heart with all diligence and there's some there's some mixing of heart and mind there our, our heart being our, our inner desires and our inner thoughts keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life in Matthew 23, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He replied, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So how have you loved God with your mind in the last week? Love God with all your mind. In Romans 12, 2, we read that we are not to be Conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In Ephesians 2, 23, uh, actually 22 and 23, we read that you are to put off concerning our former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Colossians 3, Paul writing again, verses 1 and 2. If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3-5 through five. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Our thoughts are directly connected to our actions. Romans 8, 5-7 For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Set your mind on the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, we read, um, Who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is a major theme in the book of Philippians. In the first chapter, verse 27, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that while I come to see and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Chapter 2 is full of the idea of being of the same mind and and being called to have this mind, which was in Christ Jesus. And in Philippians 3, those who reject the things of God, those who reject They live in darkness, they have their minds set on earthly things. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, we have the story of sin, of disobedience to God entering the world. I'm going to read the first six verses of Genesis chapter 3. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Did sin start with the bite? Sin started not with the bite. But with that mental calculation and that mental choice that I, the human, will be the determiner of good and evil. And I'm going to take the bite. Sin started in their minds. Sin always starts in our minds. We think our way is better than God's way. Or maybe we simply just maybe we simply fail to think about. What is God's way? In either case, whether we act without thinking about God and his way, or we think and act in a deliberate choice against God's way, that sin started in your mind. In both cases, the sin the sin—is is, is starting in your mind. What we think determines how we live. And if you say, well, no, I just go on autopilot. I just, I wasn't thinking about it at all well then, are you not called to love God with all your mind? Are you not called to use your mind and evaluate life and evaluate whether you will choose to live for him or not? In Matthew 6, Jesus tells us not to be anxious. And I want to read verses 25 and 26 here in Matthew chapter 6. So generally, if if I was talking about what it takes to, to live above anxiety, to live above worry, I would say, well, it takes faith. And that's true. Let's read here in Matthew 6, verses 25 and 26. Jesus speaking, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food in the body, more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? So how do you not be anxious? Jesus says, look at the birds and think about the birds and think about God. Jesus says, if you have anxiety problems, it's going to take some thinking to work through them. That's fascinating to me. He says, okay, so maybe it's more fascinating to me than to some people. Um, but this idea of Jesus laying out a, a logical construct that we're supposed to use and consider. So in, in my work, logical constructs are a big part of getting the information we need. Um, a few weeks ago, we were trying to pull some information, and depending on what you're doing, how you're, how you're working with the database. Um, you're going to use different terminology, but you're going to use things like if this, then that, or um, case when this, then that. You're using logic. You're saying, well, if this is the case, then this is the result. If this is the case, then this is the result. And so the other day we were we were trying to pull some information and we ended up writing this big, long string of logic I think it was 17 cases nested together. Well, if this case, then this. But within that, if this case, then this. And Jesus gives us a little logical construct to use here. He says, think about it. If God provides for birds, and if I'm more valuable to God for birds, well, isn't God going to provide for me? Jesus didn't just leave us with Shut up and don't worry about it. He said, look, you can can think through this and you can see how God's going to do this. Thinking is an antidote for worry in this world. Our mind is a battleground. The adversary would like our mind to spiral down in all kinds of unhealthy ways when we face anything, especially big things or challenging things or uncertainty. The devil would have your mind spiral down in in all kinds of unhealthy patterns. Jesus calls us to think on good things. So if you're facing family issues, if you're dealing with issues at work, your job is uncertain or or, um, even just stressful, Uh, What about disease or or sickness and healing or a lack of healing? What about loneliness? What about abandonment? What about rejection? In all of those things our, our human inclination and the influences of darkness would be downward. That we would spiral downward when we face those things and think about those things. It's very easy to think, well, I'm not smart enough. I'm not determined enough. I'm not strong enough. I don't measure up as a parent or I don't measure up as a spouse or I don't measure up as an employer, or I don't measure up as a boss or a big one is the thought that I'm the only one who can't get it together. We all struggle with unhealthy thoughts. I do. You do. You knew that. If you meet someone who says they don't struggle with unhealthy thoughts, you have met someone who struggles with honesty and their thoughts. All of us have this battleground between our ears. God didn't didn't have so many places in his word speaking to our need to consider our thoughts and turn our thoughts toward him if it wasn't a common issue to us as humans and i'm not saying we all have the exact same experiences or the same flavors of of our thought struggles i'm not even saying we all have the same tendencies or maybe even all the same inclination um maybe some of us it's not like gravity that's a constant that all of us our thoughts are dragged down at a similar speed um I tend to think mine drop faster than some people's, but I don't know. I don't know how you're how you're doing with it. And I do know that some people do have have more that they're working through or or maybe a deeper hole to climb out of. What I am confident in saying is we are all in the battle, and that battle starts between our ears. The Bible instructs us about thinking well because we all need it. We all have the capacity and the draw toward unhealthy thoughts. We all have a battle. All of us would be dragged toward bitterness, anxiety, and discouragement in our thoughts. But Jesus says there is a way to stop the spiral. In Philippians 4, Paul gives us um, some medicine for the unhealthiness that wants to grow in our minds. And what is that way? That way is to think about certain things. We have a choice in what we think about. And I realize when I say that, that some of us who have, who have had some deep struggles with anxiety, that can sound trite to say we all have a choice in what we think about. So as I've, as I've studied and thought about this subject and as I'm speaking here, I I hesitate to use the word thoughts sometimes, and I prefer to use the word thinking and the differentiation. So, so Jesus in Matthew six, when he, when he says, well, look at the birds and think about the birds and think about God. Stop worrying. Think differently is maybe a way you could say you could you could package up what he said there. Stop worrying. Think differently. Well, that worry and those struggles that start, those are thoughts. The thought creeps in of, well, how am I going to make the mortgage payment next month or how am I going to deal with situation X or problem Y? Those are thoughts But your thinking is the ongoing processing you do. And you have a choice about your thinking. You have a choice about, am I going to indulge this thought? Am I going to turn this thing around and around in my head and look at all the angles about how my mortgage payment is coming up and how the paycheck is not coming in or or whatever You have a choice whether you're gonna keep inspecting that thing and that thought that comes in about this problem coming up or whether you're going to focus on other things. David Martin Lloyd-Jones was a preacher preacher and writer of yesteryear. And he commented that Christian faith is essentially thinking. And he pointed to um, what Jesus said, look at the birds, think about them, draw your deductions, look at the grass, the lilies of the field consider them and he said the trouble with most people however is that they will not think instead of doing this they sit down and ask what's going to happen to me what can I do and he talks about how we we surrender or or just give in to the thoughts the thoughts that hit us instead of turning and considering and thinking what we're called to consider Faith, if you like, can be defined like this. It is a man insisting upon thinking when everything seems determined to bludgeon and knock him down in an intellectual sense. The trouble with the person of little faith is that instead of controlling his own thought, his thought is being controlled by something else. And, as we put it, he goes round and round in circles. That is the essence of worry. If you lie awake at night for hours, I can tell you that what you have been doing, you have been going round in circles. Now, the problem is I preached from this passage last week, and a couple nights this week, I didn't sleep very well. And I went round and round in circles. We don't always have a choice in our circumstances. Many of of our circumstances we do have a choice in. Many of them we don't. So we don't always have a choice in our circumstances, but we do have a choice in our thoughts amidst those circumstances. So even in the middle of bad things happening we have a choice about what we're going to focus on in our thoughts. Now, I do want to clarify, I'm speaking this what I'm talking about this morning, I'm I'm saying this is for you if you if you have accepted a life of discipleship to Christ. I'm talking to Christians because it's Jesus who makes this truth a reality in your lives, and yes, there are practical aspects of this that, if you focus on what's going wrong in life in a practical way, outside of outside of Christianity, people who focus on what's going wrong in life spiral down, and those who develop good habits in their thought life develop tools to work against um, to work against some of these negative thought patterns. Yes, they will be made better for it, but or, or they will experience um, better things because of it. But the big picture of all this, as a Christian, comes down to this. Outside of Christ, our minds are hard. They're even hostile toward God. We read that in 2 Corinthians 3 and Romans 8. In 2 Corinthians 4, we read that we're blinded to the truth of God's love to us. In Romans 4, Eight, we read that our minds are focused on the things and the ways of this world. And uh, Paul even describes it in Ephesians 2, that we're focused on the, the things and the ways of this world to the point that we become enslaved by them. And so, well, I read 2 Corinthians 10 earlier, a couple verses um, from there of the weapons of our warfare the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's the battle. And all of us that are in the battle, that are in Christ, we have weapons. We have power. We are not subject to them. We can pull down those strongholds. In God, you have You have a power in God to choose to think differently. And I do want to make it crystal clear. The Bible calls us not to be a better version of ourselves, to to be an entirely new person. So as a Christian, you're not called to just have a better mind. You're called to have a new mind, the mind of Christ. When you as a Christian have the mind of Christ and the power of the Spirit of God, when you begin to think or, or spiral downward into anxious thoughts by God's grace, by his power, and a choice, you, you have a choice to, to stop and trust God and his love for you and his purposes for your life, you have the opportunity to consider the lilies, to consider the birds, and to consider God. You have Romans 8.28 to hold to and know that God wants to work out good out of everything. He wants to bring redemption even to the horrors of life that we may face in this sin-broken world. When you begin to spiral down into fear, you have a choice to stop and shift your mind and consider the sovereignty of God. When you begin to think or spiral down into pride, that concern or preoccupation with what others think about you or how you look or how you're perceived, so, some of us, no, it's actually sometimes, all of us, sometimes when when we're concerned or preoccupied with ourselves, we're concerned about what people think about us or how we look, how people view us. For some, Sometimes, well, we're driven to despair because, oh, I'm just a filthy, rotten person and I'm useless and whatever, and all these people know that and they see that. And other times, we're driven to pride of, well, yeah, I'm doing pretty well and that guy over there, he's just... And, and so that those, those mental preoccupations will take us down either path of sin. You have a choice to shift your mind to humility, to shift your mind to being not preoccupied with your own life and, and how it's viewed and, and what people see in you, but being occupied with what God thinks about you. Think about what God says about you in your life. And God gives us a focus for our thoughts. Back here in Philippians 4, the word used in the Greek for think about these things, it's, it's actually tied to the word we would get logarithm from. It's, it's the idea of a prolonged thinking, a taking inventory. It's a fixation. Fixate your mind. You've seen plenty of people, I'm sure, who've become fixated on a subject. Maybe you're even clear-headed enough to see times or things where you've been fixated on something. So sometimes you you have somebody who's fixated on a subject, and no matter what conversation is, that thing that they're fixated on is going to make its way into it. Or maybe they're fixated on a person. And so no matter what, anything in life is going to remind them of that person. You're allowed to be fixated on your wife. There's a, there's a verse in Proverbs that actually says, gives the idea of... Um, in a positive sense of being intoxicated with your spouse. So anyway, that's the only intoxication you'll find blessed in the Bible is intoxicated with your spouse, but um, or in your spouse, not just with them. Um, God says here are some things that you can fixate on. That no matter what, your mind comes back to these. These are the things that you ponder and turn over, and, and no matter what, you just can't get away from these thoughts. So for some of us, Maybe you're fixated on work and you just can't put your phone down and stop thinking about how you're going to tackle whatever that problem is tomorrow. Or you're fixated on news. What's the next update? So many things around us would 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 become the object of our fixation. But God says, here's what you can fixate on. And we get a pretty comprehensive list of six things here in Philippians 4.8. True. You can fixate on what is True. If the battle for joy, gentleness, and peace begins in your mind, then the battle begins with believing what is true. You will not have joy, gentleness, and peace in your life if you start believing false things about God. Adam and Eve think about how sin entered the world and destroyed their lives when they believed what was not true about God. There's also an aspect of this of what's true about you what God says about you, not what you think about you, not what others think about you, or what you think others think about you. What does God think about you? Fixate on truth. We have this idea of honorable or noble or dignified. Thinking on the things that are honorable, the things that are noble, the things that are dignified. Think on a higher plane. Thoughts that are worthy of respect, thoughts that are worthy of honor or awe so much of what we're prone to fixate on. Our, our minds are drawn and and would just focus in on and go round and round on so many things that are just of a, of a lower plane. They're, maybe they're meaningless. Maybe they're not meaningless, but maybe they're just frivolous. Sometimes it is the, the rotten things, the dirty things, the vulgar things. There are so many ways that we are drawn to focus on things that just don't matter or don't matter enough to draw the, the volume of thought that they're getting from you. Lift your thoughts to things that really matter. Think about what is just, whatever is just we read. I read in a definition of justice recently that I really liked, which was justice is what is right for all people as exemplified in God's character and expressed in God's word. Justice is what is right for all people as exemplified in God's character and expressed in God's word. Fixate your mind on what is just and right and good for people according to God's definition. You could also use terms like fair or right or impartial. If you're, having, um, if you're struggling with being impartial in a situation, there's, there's some clues for you to consider justice Whatever's pure, pure motives, pure desires, pure words, pure thoughts. So we read uh, a couple times in scripture, the idea of fleeing sexual impurity, and that's certainly a part of what, what is at play here, but it goes so much farther than that. This is a call for purity in every part of life, not allowing impurity into our school or work cheating scamming um, not allowing impurity into our motivations your aims and your goals are they untainted fixate on the untainted fixate on the pure lovely have you ever asked yourself is the thought I'm having lovely I didn't until a couple weeks ago and if you and if you want to broaden that out a little bit, think about 1 Corinthians 13 and what the Bible says about love there. So when you're thinking about thinking about thinking about what is lovely, you're thinking about what is patient, what is kind, what is humble, what's not boastful, what's not rude, what's not self-centered. Fixate your mind on what is lovely. Good report. You could use commendable or admirable Would you recommend any of the thoughts you had yesterday to someone else? You should have this thought. Would you be able to commend a particular thought you have to someone else? Because you know that if they also had this thought, they would be built up. They would be helped. They would be encouraged by having that same thought you're having. Those are the kind of things you're supposed to think on. Not the kinds of things that if someone else was in your mind, they would be discouraged or maybe even disgusted by. Focus on, fixate on thoughts that if someone was in your mind, they would actually be helped to be there. They would be encouraged by the fact that they got to read your thoughts. They'd be better off because they got to think what you were thinking. And then virtue excellence, the idea of worthy of praise something great about this list is how well it covers maybe you're you're drawn toward thinking about justice and fairness and and being impartial but maybe you've got some purity problems in, in your thoughts and you have some some goals or aims in life that are that are impure they're they're tainted they're not um, they're not what they need to be or maybe. You're prone to think on what is lovely, but you got a problem with truth. Or maybe, you know, I've got my own version of what's fair and just, but it's simply not true. But you put all these things together and you get a picture of excellence. You get thoughts that are worthy of praise ask yourself, are my thoughts worthy of praise before God? Are my thoughts worthy of praise before others? Mm -hmm. Fixate your mind on these kinds of things. And that requires the discipline to stop and think about what you're thinking about. This is an incredibly important spiritual discipline that will affect every facet of your life. You can flip this. Don't think about what is untrue. Don't think about Dishonorable things or or unjust things or impure things or what's unlovely things that aren't commendable But be careful Don't think about an elephant How many of you just saw an elephant in your head right now? Don't think about the color of an elephant a lot of shades of gray just went through a lot of minds right now So be careful if you just go through life, well, I'm, I'm not going to think about this and I'm not going to think about that. You're going to be thinking about that all the time. There is a, a way you can use the flip version in, in that you can say, well, I am going to recognize when a thought or pattern of thought doesn't fit this category. But then what you need to do is have have loaded up what you turn to as the counter to that. It was given in the positive for a reason. It was given as a think on this rather than a don't think about this on purpose. I'm going to close with a homework assignment. Now, of course, I can't... You know, I'm not going to come here next week and keep you from coming into church till you turn in your homework assignment. Um, so this really just comes down to... If you see this as an area that is important in your life, this is, this is something you can use in a practical way to to devote some time and energy to this. If you want joy, gentleness, and peace in your life, this is something that has been helpful for me, and it can be helpful for you. I have six questions for you to consider, and they're all tied to this verse here in uh, Philippians 4, 4 verse 8. All of these questions start in what specific ways do I need to replace? So it's, in what specific ways do I need to replace untrue thoughts with true thoughts? So what I'm saying is sit down, write down, or type out what are things that I see I'm prone to think that are not true? And how can I replace those? What are the What's the true counterpoint I can load up so that When I see myself thinking this thing that, yes, I know it's untrue, I can turn my thoughts to this true counterpoint. In what specific ways do I need to replace dishonorable thoughts with honorable thoughts? Again, thinking on a higher plane. In what specific ways do I need to replace unjust thoughts with just thoughts? This is about finding areas of partiality or pride that need replacement. And what are you going to replace them with? In what specific ways do I need to replace impure thoughts with pure thoughts? Areas of sexuality, morality, motives, your aims and goals. In what specific ways do I need to replace unlovely thoughts with the lovely thoughts that go in their place? And in what specific ways do I need to replace uncommendable thoughts with their commendable replacement? Think about allowing someone to read your thoughts. I don't believe you can go downtown and find somebody um, who can look at your hands or stare deeply into your eyes or turn some cards over and really know what you're thinking. I don't believe there's anybody who can read your thoughts. But imagine for a moment somebody could. What would they find? Could you recommend what they would find? Could they recommend what they would find? This is about replacing the things that would discourage, disgust, or in any way negatively impact people if they had that same thought. Replacing those kind of thoughts with the kind of thoughts that people would be boosted by them. They would be better because they had that thought. We need to ask God to transform us. You need to ask God to re- transform you by the renewing of your mind. We we know from Scripture, we have the promise that if we, if we are his, if we're Christians, he will give us a new mind. But you have the opportunity daily, moment by moment even, for God to renew your mind again. You know, there's no limit to the number of times he can and will renew your mind if you ask him. Let's have the discipline to both ask him and to give him what he asks of us. Thank you for your time. God bless you. I'll turn the service back over to the local congregation.